You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come together now and to sit under your word. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to be a pastor of this church, to be able to preach the gospel to such a wonderful privilege and opportunity. And I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you will do what only you can do, that you can take these words and that you will make them alive in our hearts. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to see a show of hands. There's no shame here, but how many of you in here have ever felt like giving up before at something? Everybody felt like giving up? I think most people in here, except for Jordan Lane, uh, who I just found out. uh, Did you raise your hand? Did you really? I just found out Jordan Lane ran an iron, or not ran, ran, biked, and swam an Ironman. I don't know when that was. Can we give Jordan a round of applause? And so... I just, I didn't even see you. I just assumed you didn't raise your hand because if you run an Ironman, it's like, do you quit at anything, you know? And so, um, you know, most of us in here have at times felt like giving up at something. And if I can just be honest, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I experienced this feeling of wanting to give up. And just to set the context for you, my wife and I uh, just moved into a home that we had purchased. And this was like impeccable timing because we had just finished remodeling the crossing. And we decided, hey, let's go get a house and now remodel it so that we can use all of our spare time doing that instead of working up here. And so everything was actually going fairly well, which by the way, I'm sorting my yard this week. If anybody wants to practice being like Jesus, just come and see me after the service. So anyways, um, so, you know, everything was going pretty well on the remodel, and uh, up until a couple uh, of weeks ago, we came home from a t-ball game, and I'm like, okay, you know, we're getting the kids in their pajamas, that sort of thing, and I'm like, I'm going to grab these uh, handles, and I'm going to put new handles in this little jacuzzi tub in our bathroom. Seems simple enough, but all of a sudden, I'm pulling the handles out of the tub, and I, I hear what sounds like vomit coming out of my son in the other room, and I go in there, and he'd actually taken dog poop and, and decided to eat it, and it's like, hey, uh, brownie, you know, like, and so... Um, my wife is, is prego, so she like plays the pregnant card. I'm like, oh, I'm sick. I can't. And so like I go in there and I, I clean it up and get everything, you know, situated. So I'm like, okay, now back to the handles. And so just to show of hands again and don't lie, how many of you have heard that when you're taking a handle off a tub, you're supposed to kill the main water supply? Oh, really? <laughs> well, anyways, so... I did not know that. Actually, the instructions didn't even say that, which I didn't read before, but I went back and read later to see if they said it, and they didn't. And, um, and so <laughs> I go to loosen the hot water handle on this tub, and I'm not exaggerating. I know I'm a pastor, you know, and pastors do that, but I, this is the truth, man. When I 
unloosen this little nut on the on the hot water handle, the whole handle shoots off like a stinking bullet into our ceiling. Hot, flaming hot water comes out, I'm telling you, like a fire hydrant, and just begins to drill our ceiling and flood our bathroom floors. Now, I am typically fairly cool, calm, and collective, but I'm serious, I freaked out. I began to just like grab the handle, and I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just like trying to shove the handle like back in the hole, but it's like flaming hot water. I'm like, ah, it hurts, you know, and it's like I'm like trying to put it in there, and uh, all of a sudden, like that wasn't working, so I did what any man would do. I just began to yell at my wife, and so I go, Megan, do something, and she was like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, I don't know, call somebody. And she said, who do I call? And I was like, I don't know. 911, anybody, like, this is an emergency. Like, we've got to fix this. And so, like, we're sitting there, and I'm trying to throw the handle back on here. And eventually, you know, she's, like, putting, like, towels down everywhere. And so I grab a towel. I throw the towel over this, this, this fire hydrant thing. And so, like, I put it over there. I'm like, Megan, hold it there. And then I finally just realized, like, I can go and kill the hot water supply in the room right next to me. So I run over there, I kill the supply, and um, you know, a, a situation, a crisis was avoided in one sense, in the fact that the water had stopped, but then like, you know, I go in and there's still a flooded bathroom, and what's really depressing all of a sudden is the fact that my faucet is just on. Like water's just pouring out the faucet, cold water, which is weird because the cold water wasn't on. So I call Dustin Nolan, I call the guy who did the plumbing for this place, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? They're like, I don't know, like, check your O-rings. Anybody know what an O-ring is? Of course y'all do. And so, um, and so I kill the main water supply, go outside, Dustin Nolan tells me where that is, and so I go out, kill the water supply, uh, after, anyways, and so I kill the water supply, come back in, take the handles off, look at the O-rings, everything looks pretty good, but they're still like, that must be the issue, man, it's the only reason the faucet would be, you know, still pouring water like that, so I run to Walmart at 10 p.m. at night, and wouldn't you know, the one thing that I need is the one thing that Walmart does not carry, don't go to Walmart to get O-rings, of course, but y'all already know all that anyway, I'm sure, and so... I um, I run back home, or I drive back home, and on the way back, I mean, I'm just so discouraged. I'm like, what am I going to do? Water's pouring out our faucet. Our, our, our water bill's running up if we turn the, you know, the water on, and who knows if my kid's going to puke again. So I, I got to turn the water supply back on so we can clean up in case that happens. And so like, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I get back to the house. I look at the O-rings again. I put them on. I turn the water supply on, go back into the house, and the same thing's happening again. So I go out, kill the water supply, and I fall mine, I'm done. I go in. And Megan, she could vouch for this. I'm sitting there, and I just, I cry out to God in my bathroom. And I said, God, you've got to do something. Like, for the sake of my marriage, you've got to do something. And so, like, I cry out to God, as silly as that seems. I, I, I go back outside after putting the handles on. I turn the water supply back on, and I come in to the sound of silence. There's no water dripping, no water coming out. And I can't explain it other than God really felt sorry for me. And he fixed the problem. And, and here's why I'm sharing that. It's not to say, hey, if you have something broke in your house, call it to God and he will fix it. I mean, he might. But the main reason I'm sharing that is to say to you, like, I want you to look at that posture of desperation that I was taking at that moment and that crisis in that bathroom. And I want you to realize that's the same posture God wants us to take before him every second of every day. As followers of Jesus, what I hope you've been hearing throughout this series is we are calling you to something that is impossible. I mean, if you've been listening through all the sound issues over the last few weeks, 
hopefully what you've heard is something that makes you go, I mean, Jared, I've got kids. I've got a job. I've got a packed full schedule. And you mean to tell me that Jesus doesn't just want my Sunday. He wants my every day. There should be something in you that says, that's hard. And Jared, not only that, like, you know, I have a hard time even loving my biological family. And you've been telling us that Jesus wants us to love this church as our family. And that when I show up here, I'm not to show up just to be served, but I'm to take the posture of a servant and I'm to serve and that I'm to live as a missionary in my city. Are you kidding me? There should be something in you if you've heard that that says, that's impossible. And my hope is that you see that's exactly where God wants you. And what he wants you to do with this feeling of hopelessness is not to just kind of white knuckle it, to try harder, to be better, to not like, you know, it's not this picture of me like trying to throw this handle on the tub. Like it's not what he wants you to do. Nor does he want you to say, just forget it. I'm done. He wants you to cry out to him for help. And he promises us in his words, what we see today is that when we cry out to him for help, he will give us the power to do his work, his way, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Please hear me today. God is not looking for strong people to storm the gates of hell. He is looking for weak people who realize they cannot do his work apart from his power and therefore in their weakness turn to him and live dependent on him every second of every day. God is not looking for people in here today to say, you know what, I am God's gift to the world. He is looking for people who say, you know what, I need God's gift of the Holy Spirit or I'm in trouble. Because I cannot possibly live the life that he's called me to live apart from his power. And that is what we see in our text today. But before we look back in John, let me encourage you to look with me to Luke chapter 1. Because I want to try to build and kind of lay a little bit of a foundation of the power of the Spirit before we get back to John 1. And I would apologize for having you look at several different passages of Scripture today, but we're looking at Scripture. And I should apologize for that, right? So Luke chapter 1, in verse 30 through 35... I want to read this for you in a couple of the texts, and then we'll get back to John 14. In verse 30, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In verse 34, rightly so, Mary said to the angel, How is this possible? How will this be since I am a virgin? And look at verse 35 at the angel's response. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the, what's the word? The power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore... The child will be born. So what I want you to see is this absolute correlation between Mary saying, how is this miracle going to happen? And there's a correlation between the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He will give you the power, and that's how this is going to take place. Okay, you get that? Holy Spirit, power. Now, with that in mind, flip over to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. Luke 3 verse 21. It says, Now when all the people were baptized... 
And when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Notice it doesn't say the Holy Spirit was a dove. Right? We've all seen those paintings in Bible stores, right? Like a dove, the Holy Spirit descends on him and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And so this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Luke is careful to record that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And then look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, we don't have time to look at it, but what happens in the wilderness? Jesus is tempted by Satan. Satan knows that if he can ever get Jesus to sin at least once, it sabotages and ruins his whole mission. So he's trying to get him to sin. He's doing everything he can to tempt him, right, to sin against God the Father. And yet, what happened? Jesus resists all the temptations. Now listen carefully. In a lot of churches, what we've probably heard is when people will say, well, how did Jesus resist temptation? People will say, well, clearly he knew the Word of God. He, he quoted Scripture. And yes, that is part of it. But don't the Pharisees know Scripture? Uh, doesn't the... Demons know scripture? Yes. So how did Jesus avoid the temptation to fall into sin? Yes, he knew the word of God, but I believe it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I believe there's these bookends here where before the temptation in chapter 4 verse 1, Luke says he was full of the Spirit. And then look in verse 14, after the temptation, he's very quick to record again, chapter 4 verse 14, and then Jesus returned in the what? power of the Spirit. And let's keep reading. He returned the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And look at this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. So important that you understand right there when Jesus is talking about the Spirit, do you notice He doesn't say, It is upon me. He says, He is upon me. And you see, the reason this is important is because when it comes to the Trinity... It's so easy to look and say, well, of course Jesus is He. He is the Son of God. And of course the Father is He because He is a Father. But then we come to the Spirit and we're like, what's this? Is the Spirit like a blob? Is it like this power force? No, the Bible is clear. The Spirit is one of the three persons in the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father is God and the Son is God. That is why in the Great Commission, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he says, baptize in what? The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God, and he is a he. That is why Jesus says, he has what? Anointed me. And when he says anointed me, what he's saying here is the Spirit has come upon me. He has empowered me for a specific mission, a specific purpose. And what is that? In verse 18 and following, he says, he has anointed me. To proclaim the good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Praise God. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, why did I just read all that? Because I want you to see that for Luke, he is careful to show us this morning the way Jesus did all the powerful stuff he did was in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of you, that's going to mess with you a little bit because you grew up here, and the reason Jesus was able to do all that he did is, well, clearly he's God. And though his miracles do testify to that truth, that he is God, as we talked about a couple weeks ago in Philippians chapter 2, what does Paul say Jesus did with his God-like power? He emptied himself of it. What Philippians 2, what what Paul is saying is that when, when Jesus came to this earth, he never stopped being God He was still 100% God, but he laid his God card down. He didn't have to, but when he came here, he also, though was 100% God, was 100% human. That is why whenever the the, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus the night before his crucifixion, he says to Peter, as Peter's like pulling out a sword, like, yeah, you know, like trying to like, you know, take everybody down. Jesus looks at him and says, well, put the sword up. He says, Peter, you're so silly. Like, don't you understand? Like, if I wanted to right now, I could send a legion of angels to destroy everybody, but I'm not going to. Though he could have, what does Jesus do? He empties himself of his power. He lays down his power and his privileges and possessions that were rightfully his, which means then this. The way Jesus did all the powerful stuff that he did on earth was not through his own power. It was through the power of the Spirit. And the reason, guys, listen, the reason this is so significant is not only because now Christianity, unlike every other religion, is not just about, hey, try harder to be better in your own power. But also because what happens now is whenever you read this Bible and you see all the stuff that Jesus did, you should not look and say, well, of course he did. He's God. But what we should be saying is, wow, this is what a human being walking in the power of the Holy Spirit can look like. What we should do is whenever we look at the scriptures and say, man, Just as the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus and empowered him to resist sin, guess what? He can empower me to resist sin. I don't have to live as a slave anymore. I don't have to stay addicted to this anymore. I've received the power that I need. As we talked about in Romans chapter 8, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in me. Whenever we read about what Jesus has done, we should be able to look and say, man, just as the Spirit empowered him to proclaim good news, no matter how timid I may be, no matter how shy or how little knowledge I have of the Bible, he can empower me to proclaim the gospel as well. We should be able to look and say, man, just as he empowered Jesus to perform miracles, he can empower me to do the same thing. And if you don't believe me, look back in John 14. Well, we started in John 14, 12. I mean, what does Jesus say? Truly, truly. This is red letters, guys. This is Jesus' words. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What works? I want to get feedback on this. What works has Jesus been doing up to this point? Anybody know? Just throw it out there. Raising the dead. Healing people. What else? 
casting out demons. I mean, we could go on and on and on. And so they all have seen this. The disciples have seen this. And he looks right at them and he says, hey, the works that I have been doing, you can do that. Well, no, Jared, he's just talking to the disciples. Oh, really? Then why does he say, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And it gets even crazier because he says, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, there's a lot of debate on what Jesus means by greater. Some say he thinks, uh, some say they think Jesus means greater in quality. But I don't know if I really line up there because, I mean, Jesus did raise someone from the dead. So I don't really know how you top that. It's like maybe you do it and there's like fireworks going off. Like, I don't know. I don't think he means quality. I think he means quantity. Because, again, we've talked about this. Jesus was in one place at one time empowered by the Spirit. But now through his church, the church is known as the body of Christ. And empowered by the Spirit, we can be in all places. So we can see greater things in quantity. I think that's what he's talking about here. But I don't care where you land. The point is this. Whatever he means by greater, he doesn't mean lesser. Can we agree with that? And then in verse 13, he goes on and he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And by the way, to ask in the name of Jesus is not like a magic formula. Like, hey, God, will you give me a million dollars? No. In Jesus' name, will you give me a million dollars? And God's like, okay, you know. (laughs) But to ask in Jesus' name is to ask according to God's will. It's to ask in in a posture of, man, God, I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done right now. Not just for my good, but for your glory. So he says, when you ask in my name, that's what he's talking about. He said, if you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, here it is again, I will do it. Essentially, well, let me go on and read this. If you, also verse 15, let's look at this again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither receives him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Essentially, here's what Jesus is saying. Please hear me. If you've fallen asleep, wake up. Nudge the person. Wake him up. What Jesus is essentially saying here is, listen, if you believe in me, if you trust that I really have come and lived a perfect life, you could never live, fulfilling the righteous requirement of God on your behalf, and that I went to the cross and I died a death that you deserve to die for your sins, and that I rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell through the power of the Spirit. You believe that? I will give you my spirit. And the life that you have seen me live, guess what? I will live it through you, through my spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. That's why it says in verse 18, yeah, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to be here with you. That's why in Matthew 28, verse 20, whenever he says, go make disciples, he says, and behold, verse 20, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And that's why in Acts chapter 1, we see that then Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to empower his disciples to do everything he told them to do. And what do we see in the book of Acts? Have you read it? It is a loud book. The early church, you know what they're doing? The same stuff Jesus did. Raising people from the dead. Casting out demons. Performing miracles. And like, oh, well, Jared, that was just the apostles. No, it wasn't. Read the book of Acts. Ever heard of a guy named Philip? 
wasn't an apostle. He actually was a latecomer to the game. And in Acts chapter 8, it says that after he received the Holy Spirit, he went and he proclaimed the gospel in Samaria. He did signs and wonders. And as a result, it says there was joy that filled the city. Now listen. I am not saying that as soon as we say amen and end the day that we should all rush out to Linwood and try to raise the dead. Okay? (laughs) Though that would be awesome. Clearly, I do think there are some unique things going on in the book of Acts. Uh, For example, my shadow, unlike Peter's, has never fallen on anybody and healed them. Okay? There's some unique stuff going on here, but I want to be clear. Listen, in Scripture... The exact same power that was on Jesus, the exact same power that was on the early church, is the exact same power that should be on us as followers of Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you're here and you're doubting this and you're saying, I don't know, man. I've never felt that kind of power. Not me. I've never healed the sick, I've prayed. Prayed for him to be healed, but I've never seen anybody be healed. I, I know you said that there's power over sin, but dude, I keep falling to the same sins over and over again. I mean, I'm just bound up in this addiction. Maybe you read about the gifts of the Spirit, and you're like, I've never seen those gifts. I've never spoken tongues. I've never prophesied. I've never done any of those things that the Bible talks about. I read the Bible, Jared, and I don't feel the presence of God. I mean, even as I come here on Sunday mornings, all these people, I still, it's just hard for me to just feel God's presence like he's speaking to me. I mean, Jared, I hear you go live as a family of missionary servants, but are you kidding me? Like, I can't even stop looking at porn. So where is this power of the Holy Spirit in my life? And I think in order to answer that question, we need to do a little bit of math. And I don't want to scare you. I hate math more than you do. Okay? No offense, Kyle Hems or Tim Parrott. Anybody else a math teacher in this room? You are dismissed. Just kidding. Not a big fan of math, but I do think that we can use a little math right here to help us if we can put it on the screen. Do we have that, Ryan? In order for us to experience the empowering presence of God, and I've shared this before, but I think it's worth sharing it again. I think we need to understand that intimacy with God plus holiness plus faith is what equals power. Now, let me give you a short word. You can leave that up on the screen, a short word on each. First off, intimacy with God. Do you know what God wants from you more than anything else? A relationship. More than he wants you to just go do stuff for him, he wants to be with you. He wants intimacy with you. For some of you in here, if I were to ask you, hey, are you saved? Say, sure I am. Are you a Christian? Of course I am. But if I said, hey, tell me about your relationship with God, you might hear crickets. And I think that this is the reason why some of you have not experienced the power of God. Sure, you're here on Sunday mornings, but I mean, this is the extent of your relationship. And if that's where you are, I don't want you to sit in guilt right now. I want you to know that's the very reason that God the Father sent His Son. 
to come and do everything that he did, to die for you so that he could bring you into a right relationship with him. And if you have trusted in Jesus today, you can go from being far from him, no matter how far you feel, into a personal, intimate relationship with him. And what's crazy is that God not only wants to to be beside you, the Bible says he will dwell in you. God, through his spirit, wants to take residence in you. I want you to have you ever just thought about how crazy that is, actually? Like when my wife and I were looking for a house, do you know what I was not saying? Hey, babe, let's find the most broken house we can find. Let's find a house that's awful and ugly and is going to take a lot of work and is leaking and just all sorts of, I mean, just everything's going wrong. Let's go, let's go into that home. No, we're saying, hey, let's go into a, uh, a home that's move-in ready. Guys, you, you know what? God isn't looking for move-in ready. God loves going into broken homes. He loves going into shattered lives because He gets the glory for when He goes in and makes it new. That's what God does. He loves, loves coming into shattered, broken people. The more broken and disgusting and vile and just apart your life is, the more God is just longing to come in to change your life. So that then people look at you and say, man, this guy used to be a greedy son of a gun. And now he's generous. He's giving his stuff away. This guy right here, man, he used to just treat his wife like crap. And now that he loves her like Jesus loves the church. So he used to be, he have that hair trigger temper. He was always mad. And now he's patient and kind and compassionate. God loves doing stuff like that. And for some of you, you're not experiencing it because you don't have intimacy with God. You don't see that what He wants from you more than anything is a relationship. When you think of the Spirit, you call Him it, not He. When you think of the Holy Spirit, you think of Him as like like this force from Star Wars or something. You know, and so you think like, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian, so I've got the Spirit. And isn't the point of the Spirit is just like to pull Him out whenever I need help? And so like, I fight you with prophecy. Or with tongues. Right? Or whatever. I'm like, I wield the power of, of miraculous power of the Holy Spirit in my life to use against you. Like, some of us think like, that's the point of Him. Like, okay, I, yeah, I, I realize I need the Holy Spirit, but only in times of crisis to use in moments that I can't do it myself. That is not the point of the Holy Spirit. The point of the Spirit is so you can have communion, so you can have relationship with the God of the universe. And as that relationship grows, guess what? That power grows. I work out three days a week, kind of. That's why I look like this. My brother works out like five days a week and drinks protein and does all sorts of stuff that's makes him a lot bigger than me and stronger than me. And so you know what? This past week, my parents said, Hey, Jared, I know that you've been used to moving a lot of stuff, so how about you come move us? We're moving to a different home. And so Memorial Day, that's what I spent doing that morning. It was awesome. Um, I went and helped them pack stuff up on a trailer, and I had to go to the back and grab a grill for my dad. And whenever I did, I couldn't pull it up the little hill. And, uh, and so you know what I did in that moment? Or what I didn't do was this. I didn't go, I will the power of Grant Pickney. (laughs) Right? I didn't do that. You know what I did? I needed some help, and so I said, uh, hey, Grant, can you come here and help me? He said, sure. And we moved it. Same is true when it comes to the Spirit. You don't have a relationship with God. 
you will not experience his power. And the closer you walk with him, the more power you will experience in your life. And honestly, guys, just being transparent with you, this has convicted me all week long. Because as a pastor, you know what I fall in the trap of doing? Time to study for my sermon. Time to go have a lunch with another leader. Time to go plan for this. Time to go you know, cast that vision. And before you know it, four or five hours have gone by. And it's like, hmm. I just realized I haven't been aware of God this whole time. Haven't even talked to him. Haven't listened to him. And in my heart is that I will grow in practicing God's presence and that we will as a church as well. Man, that we will long to be in an intimate relationship with him. This is what God is after. For some of you, you are not experiencing the Spirit's power because you don't have this intimate relationship. We've got to have intimacy with God. Secondly, we have to be a people who pursue holiness. Plain and simple, guys, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to pursue living a holy life. In other words, we not only need to say no to things like greed and lust and materialism and gossip, we need to say yes to things like reading our Bibles, praying, fasting, diving into community, fighting our sin with the gospel. For some of you in here, you're like, man, where's the spirit in my life? And I would just ask you, like, are you intentionally pursuing holiness? When that girl walks into the gym with her yoga pants on, do you go ahead and feast your eyes? Or do you say, man, I'm going to turn away? When everybody at work begins to gang up or your friends on talking bad about this person behind their back, do you join in on that? Or do you say, man, I'm not going to go down that path? When you get that paycheck, do you say, I'm going to spend this however I want to spend it? Or do you say, God, what do you want me to do with your money? Whenever you have an opportunity at night to go to bed 15 minutes earlier so that you can wake up earlier and spend time in the Word, do you go to bed or do you watch another Netflix or start just cruising through more social media? Guys, some of you in here, you don't experience the Spirit's power because there's not a pursuit of holiness in your life. And listen, I'm not trying to beat you up this morning. Like, please hear me. Like, here's my heart right now. My heart is a loving father telling my son to stop consuming dog poop and to eat his vegetables. That's my heart behind this right now. Some of you are consuming poop. You are. And you're wondering, why is all this junk coming out of me? Some of you are not eating your vegetables. And you're wondering, why am I not growing? Why am I not? Why am I always sick? Why am I not healthy? We need to pursue holiness. Third, if we want to experience the Spirit's power, we need to be a people who walk in faith. Do you realize 26 of the 29 times in Scripture where it says that God healed somebody, it was attached to faith. He says, your faith has made you well. What is up with that? Well, it's clear that people who will experience God's power are people who do step out in faith. Do you realize God is not going to give you that power first and then you step out? You step out and that's where he meets you at. You, you step out and you trust him. You say, you know what, I, I'm going to take a risk here. 
You know, and I'm going to do something that don't make any sense on paper. You know, I, I'm going to refuse to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to live beyond myself, not just for the sake of doing it, but for the glory of God. If you refuse not to do that, listen, you'll live a comfortable life somewhat, but you will not live a powerful life. For some of you in here, and please receive this with love, do you know why you're not experiencing God's power? Because you're not living a life that needs it. And if you just went through this past week living a life that did not need the Holy Spirit, guess what? It wasn't the life Jesus called you to. In John 20, Jesus says, just as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And then what does he do in verse 22? He breathes the Holy Spirit on them. He says, you will not be able to do this apart from my power. Can you pull off your life apart from the power of God? If so, you won't experience his power. We need to be a people who walk by faith more than our feelings and more than just what we see right here. Now, for some of you, you hear that. And if you can just be honest... You're like, man, do I have to do this? Like, I want to experience God's empowering presence. But can I just, like, keep rushing through God's word? Can I just, like, keep living outside of community? Can I still just handle my money however I want to handle it? Like, is it okay if I still look at a little bit of pornography here and there? Like, can I do that and still experience God's empowering presence? And listen, ultimately, God can do whatever he wants, but as a general rule of thumb, absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. Like, guys, experiencing what we're talking about this week, it will take some work on your part. The Holy Spirit is not a let go and let God theology, just, okay, fill me up. Like, here I am. Like, you know, like, no, like, there's some intentionality. It's a relationship. It's like your marriage. If you just, like, say, I'm not going to plan anything anymore. I'm just going to let go and just see how my marriage does. Right? Like, it's not going to be terrible. It's the same in our relationship with God. Like, it takes work. It takes sacrifice. It takes time. And you're like, some of you are like, I don't like that. Okay, well, just let me ask you this question. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to experience the empowering presence of God in your life? How bad do you want to know the real Jesus in a real, life-changing, intimate way and help make him known to every man, woman, and child in this city? How bad do you want this? Maybe for some of you, you just want to play a game. And I get it. Man, I used to be there. You just want to pretend to be godly, and so you show up here once a week, and this is the extent of your relationship with God. Therefore, you do not experience His empowering presence in any way. You come here each week. Maybe you serve in the nursery a little bit. You throw a little money in the basket. But that's where it stops for you. My hope is that today that will begin to change. For some of you, what that means is for the first time ever, you need to enter into a relationship with God. You need to go from just talking about God to hearing me talk about God to actually surrendering your life to God and saying, I want, I want to know you. For some of you in here, you've given your afterlife to God, but you've not given him this life. And if you don't follow him and, and, and relate with him in this life, you don't get him in the next life. So for some of you, you need that relationship. For others... In here, you need to start practicing the presence of God in your everyday life. Guys, if you are just coming here each week and thinking, like, this is going to give you your God fix, like, it will never work for you. This, will, this is not enough for you. I don't care if I was Billy Graham. This is not enough for you. You need to practice walking with God. And, and, and 
as cheesy as this may be, you know what this means for me, and I'm kind of ashamed to mention it because I'm a pastor and I should just like wake up like at 3 a.m. and like be you know, fasting and praying every day. But you know what I have to do to remind myself to spend time with God? I mean, yeah, every morning I wake up, I read scripture, I get in the word, I pray, but throughout the, the day it gets so busy, what I have to do is I have to put reminders in my phone. And maybe that's childish, I don't know, but it's what I have to do. I have to be reminded, stop and just say, okay, God, you're here. I'm here. Am I missing anything? Is there anything you have for me? And just make sure my heart is aligned with his. For some of you, that's what you need to do in order to experience his empowering presence. For others, you need to get serious about pursuing holiness. Some of you are doing stuff you know God has told you to stop doing. Some of you are not doing things God has told you to do. And as hard as that may be, you need to walk in faith. You need to trust him. You need to pursue holiness. For some of you, this might mean stepping out of the shadows and getting involved in a missional community. For others, it may mean just walking across the street and, and engaging in a relationship with your neighbor. It may mean actually beginning to tithe for the first I don't know what it may mean for you. But I pray whatever it is, you'll begin to move towards it. And as a result, you'll experience the life-changing Jesus, not just on Sundays, but every day. And that as a result, we will embrace what it means to be a church that lives as a family of missionary servants. Not in our power, but in the power of the Spirit. And then as a result, we will see the good news of Jesus not only changing us, but changing and saturating our city and beyond. Amen?